The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident. Feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Hurdle, and we have arrived at the second to last episode of this podcast. Wow. (laughs) I hope that you venture over to my new one, but this is, we are getting to the very end here. And I want to say thank you, first of all, for being on the journey with me for the past three years. If you're a long-term listener, and if you're not a long-term listener, then please go back to episode 00 and start from scratch because I think we've done some good things here. and, And there's a lot of free information from oodles of years of experience that hopefully can help you build your business, build your confidence, give you perspective. Maybe it's something you already know, but you needed to hear it again. But go back through the previous episodes and um, and rock those all over again. And I have to say, ladies, this and gentlemen, this might be my most favorite episode to date. You're about to get some serious leadership lessons from a woman who knows what it takes to grow and lead as a bombshell businesswoman. But of course, before I introduce you to my guest, I want to cover a few housekeeping items and I want to encourage you to do two things. One, if you have not left a rating and review for this podcast, please take a moment and do that on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen. I really hope that these episodes will live on forever and that many a woman will grow into a bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman in business. And the more reviews that are out there, the more it shows up in search and the more women will trust your authority to give it a listen. Second, go follow me on Instagram. We realize that you're on Insta and we realize that we have not shown up there like you expect or like you would want. So we have made a conscious effort to put some energy into Instagram. So go follow The Velvet Machete. So T-H-E, Velvet Machete. And we're putting out real deal business advice as well as some personal development and and inspiration on there. So there'll be something every single day. And I just encourage you to follow The Velvet Machete. That's me. And uh, leave a message in the comments on any post uh, that you're a listener of the podcast. And I would love to chat with you on there. I mean, I you could ask other listeners if you all connected and you could do it in the app maybe. And they will tell you that I absolutely talk to listeners on social media. I really love that. So um, it, it's way more personal when I know who you are and what you're going through and what your business is like. And so when we launched the new podcast, when we launched Velvet Machete Branding Podcast, where we talk about personal branding and employer branding and business branding, we'll be doing some prizes and fun stuff on there. So you want to make sure that you follow that account. Now, of course, all of today's show notes, the links to all the good stuff and everything can be found at amberhurdle.com forward slash podcasts with an S. Just click on the Bombshell Business 
podcast image and look for this episode. Or of course, if you have downloaded the Bombshell Business app by Amber Hurdle, then you will get a push notification sent to you there. All right. So I'm going to read you the incredible bio of my guest, but I have to share some just kind of backstory first, because I think that's the kind of stuff that truly tells you what kind of a person you're dealing with. So before we got started, we had some significant hiccups or four or five, (laughs) simply just trying to connect. And, you know, podcasting can be wonky. You're using online platforms and recording and there's settings on both computers and, you know, just there's all kinds of stuff going on. And it can be really hard to pinpoint where the hiccup stems from. And usually it's pretty quick, but this time it wasn't. And we were having to like call each other back and forth on the phone and then try to connect online so it could be recorded. And I was even like trying to download to my phone, like a way to just record a phone conversation and be like, whatever the the sound quality is going to be what it is. But anyways, you'll learn that this guest is kind of a busy woman. She's kind of had really big jobs in this country. And so whether it was her connection or mine, I totally would not have faulted her if she was just like, hey, let's just reschedule or just like saying, you know what, it's just not going to work. We tried. But we put our heads together. We figured out a solution and we recorded this dang episode. And I think that speaks to who she is as a woman. And I think importantly, it speaks to who she is as a leader. And y'all know, I'm a former teen mom. I've been through a few things myself. And I'll tell you, Tenacity United is the sponsor of this particular podcast episode (laughs) because she and I were going to figure it out together. And, you know, through that, I just learned she's very down to earth, a heartfelt leader, but not soft. And I think that you will hear how sincere she is about wanting people to pursue a total life of fulfillment, both professionally and personally. And she's just the epitome of a bombshell, a bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman, even if she has to fake it at times. And it was an honor to be able to interview her. So here's a 411. Secretary Deborah Lee James has a three-decade track record of leading, transforming, and driving lasting change in the U.S. government and in private industry. As only the second woman in history to lead a branch of the male-dominated U.S. military, Deborah faced high-stakes challenges as Secretary of the Air Force, the CEO equivalent of a $660,140 billion enterprise. For three years during a period of unprecedented political dysfunction, she led the effort to recruit, train, and equip the premier air, space, and cyber force on the planet, sending forces forward to combat ISIS in the Middle East, reassure European allies against the resurgent Russia, and preparing forces for possible combat operations on the Korean Peninsula. Early in her career, Deborah was a senior executive at defense giant SAIC, where she led a $2 billion enterprise during a time of enormous change within the company. Along the way, Deborah raised two children as a single mother. Through personal stories from her days as a young professional, as a business leader at SAIC, and from the halls of the Pentagon, Deborah reveals her approach to surviving, thriving, and leading through change and dysfunction at the intersection of politics, business, and family. Bombshells, I think you're going to probably want to listen to this one a time or two. So let's get to it. Secretary James, welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Thanks, Amber. Thanks so much for having me. Now, after reading your book, and especially after our shenanigans prior to this interview, just trying to get 
all of the technology to work, I would love and much prefer to sit down and have an all day session with you to cover all of the golden nuggets that you have in your book. And because I have an even stronger opinion of your tenacity from our pre-interview shenanigans. So I guess we'll have to settle for about 30 minutes. And I'm very excited to talk about your book, Aim High, Chart Your Course and Find Success. I really want to start with the the topic of confidence, because that's what a bombshell businesswoman is all about. I redefine the term, not that everyone turns their heads and looks at the woman who's strikingly beautiful. It's that they're turning their head and looking at a woman who has a refreshing confidence. So let's dive there. You countless times stepped into a new situation. You embraced wherever it was that you were, got quickly up to speed. I I read a story where President Clinton, then Governor Clinton, could have had a very disastrous experience and and you shone brightly in that. Another one where you stepped into being a leader of more than 120 people after being an individual contributor at only 34 and had a really big meeting that maybe didn't go so well. I mean, we could just go on and on like, you know, hey, being the second woman ever to hold the position of Secretary of the Air Force and then being a civilian to boot. Like these are really big deals. How did you navigate that? How did you say I'm enough and I'm and I can do it with the tools and resources I have right now? Well, to be perfectly honest, Amber, because that's what we do on bombshell business. We're perfectly honest. Absolutely. Um, I, I lacked confidence for years and years and years. Uh, to this day, if I'm going into a new situation, I still have pangs of a lack of confidence. So I think it's something that all of us, no matter what our profession, no matter what we're doing in our lives, we all suffer from this to a degree. At least most of us do. Sure. So I think the real question is, how do you get beyond it? How do you power through it? And for me, I think the number one thing about me, and this was something where I just innately, I think, always had it, and that is I wanted it. I aspired to leadership positions. I aspired to higher levels of responsibility. And so even when I was scared to death about certain things, I hung in there and powered through it. So the fact that, you know, women, they need to aspire and they need to really want whatever they're going for. And if they do, they'll figure out a way to press forward. As you know, from reading the book, I'm not against the imposter syndrome because the imposter (laughs) syndrome helped me more than once. And by that, I simply mean faking it, faking the confidence, not ever faking the information or faking the facts of a particular matter, but simply forcing yourself, even if you have to pretend you're an actress in a play and you're playing a, a role. And again, I've done this to get through tough situations. It was the way that I could separate myself emotionally from what I thought would be a disastrous impact. But fake it if you have to, but for heaven's sakes, also prepare and practice before you go into a high stakes or new situation of any sort. So when you do this and the practice and the preparation, of course, it's not really faking it. You deserve to have more confidence than you may actually feel because you are so prepared and you have studied and you know you're you know your substance. So I think these are all critical factors. And then lastly, I kind of learned it on the job training as I went along. And I was always willing to sort of stop 
be self-introspective about where could I do better? Where could I learn? I took counsel from people who were more experienced than me. And I've been a pretty good listener. I think that's important that we all engage in those skills as well so that we can improve and ultimately not only improve on the substance, but with time, build that confidence. Absolutely. And, and you hit on something just then that popped out at me in the book too, because this is something that I attribute any success that I have (laughs) to this single thing. And that is finding a mentor or mentors and being a mentor or being a mentor to multiple people. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. I also think it's very, very important. I was a great beneficiary of mentorship throughout my career. I still am to this day. I now sit on various boards of directors and I have mentors on each of those boards who is a more experienced person than me who I am constantly seeking feedback from. So no matter where you are in your life, I think mentorship is fantastic. And then eventually when I got to positions of leadership, I took it very seriously that a big part of leadership is bringing up the next generation of leaders. And that's where it was incumbent upon me to mentor Others. And there were times that I was in a position to start programs, as I did for my business unit at SAIC, and as I did as the Secretary of the Air Force, formal mentoring programs. And then there were other times when I simply, I simply took it upon myself to be the mentor of multiple mentees. By the way, I sometimes get asked, why did I write this book? The book is part memoir, but it's also partly my leadership lessons learned from not only the successes I've had in life, but also the great big failures, the times that I have fallen flat on my face. And by sharing this, it is my hope that this is a form of mentorship for a wider audience, because I dare say not everybody is the secretary of the Air Force, not everybody is the leader of a podcast, but we all share certain similarities and experiences, ups and downs in our lives. And we can all benefit from the counsel of someone who is more experienced, who takes an interest in us, and who will help us find our way. And that's what mentorship is all about. Completely agree. And I love that you feel that obligation to pay that forward because that's that's how we continue to lift each other up and especially women you know we've come a long way but we are not there yet and and that mentor relationship is is critical and you your first mentor or maybe not your first but one of your key mentor relationships began with simply asking a more senior leader male in a male dominated environment to coffee that's correct? right yeah that's right. And I still recommend that people consider that strategy today. Fortunately, today, at least in larger companies and larger government organizations, there are many formal mentoring programs that exist. And if you're in such an organization, I think you absolutely absolutely should apply for that and try to participate. But how about the rest of us who are in smaller organizations, or maybe we apply for such a mentorship program and we don't get selected? Does that mean we can't have a mentor? And I say the answer is no. I say that's when you really need to go on the offense and you need to, again, as as a strategy, I offer up, just ask somebody who is more seasoned, more experienced, if they'd be willing to sit down at their convenience and for 30 minutes chat over a cup of coffee. And I have found that people for 30 minutes are more than happy to talk about themselves and their lives and their careers. Again, it's 30 minutes out of a senior leader's time at their convenience. 
What I don't recommend is that someone simply approach a, a more seasoned person and say, will you be my mentor? Because Thank you. That, yes. <laughs> that can be off-putting. Off but a cup of coffee, that's friendly. That's not off-putting. I suggest that as a strategy, and it did work for me. That's awesome. And if, and if a mentorship relationship naturally occurs like, like a natural relationship would, all the better. But coming out and saying, will you be my mentor? That is a big ask. It's so, a, big a little too aggressive, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, I think our opinions match. <laughs> so you have a three-part system that this book is based around. And, and I love that you preface it by saying, hey, you know what, this worked for me. And I think it could work for you, but you never went in and said, this is the way. And, and I respect that. Can you share that three-part system with us and just kind of walk through your ideology? Yes. So, and I also want to say, Amber, that I have a three-part formula very much after 37 years of working and trial and error and reflecting back. So I, I wasn't 22 years old and suddenly had a three-part program that allowed me to navigate my life. That's not the way it happened. But upon reflection and looking at all the ups and downs, I do think there's three pillars for, for finding success and fulfillment. And I call these three pillars. Number one is chart and navigate your course. Number two is lead and inspire teams because everything comes down to teamwork these days. And number three is quite simply get things done. So Nike says, just do it. I say, get things done. And this is a repeatable process for how you could tackle any kind of a problem or challenge to either solve the problem or at least to advance the ball and leave your organization in a better place than the place you found it in. And there are strategies under each of these. So for example, chart and navigate this is where you have to take control of your own destiny and you always need, wherever you are in life, in my opinion, a plan A. You need to know where you're going and roughly how you're going to get there and you need to proceed to take those actions to help you arrive at that destination. But by the same token, you have to be prepared to pivot and zigzag because your plan A may not work out or it may work out perfectly and then you discover it doesn't make you happy. So plan B's can be even better and you have to be willing to take a risk and walk through a new door if the first door closes or if it simply doesn't give you that fulfillment. I think it's also really important to find purpose in whatever your work is. I think it's important that you lead a life of continual learning through new course work, through different assignments in the workplace, but learning, evolving, reinventing yourself at different points in your time, in your career. I think all of this is important for the chart and navigate. When it comes to lead and inspire, I talk a lot about the power of communications, about how important it is to double down on people issues. So everybody talks about technology disruption, business models, different organizational constructs. That's all key too, but it's nowhere near as important as the people issues. And then finally, play to your strengths. Not, not everyone is strong at the same things. And we women in particular, we're so focused, I think, on what we don't do well that we fail to lead with the things that we do do well. And that's where we bring the most to the table. We should lead with our strengths. And then, as I said, the get things done part simply means if you don't create a body of accomplishment in whatever your job is today, you can't very well expect to get to the next level. And there are techniques, regardless of what the problem looks like, that a leader can, can take and can utilize 
in order to get things done, even in constantly changing and turbulent environments? Yeah, turbulent environment. That That's a good way to describe the environment that you existed in, in such a senior role. How do women navigate that in their own turbulent environments, ever changing, whether it's technology or the economy? Corporate America especially is, is very turbulent these days. What, what's your suggestion there to navigate that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, whether you're uh, a man or a woman, I think this is more life advice than advice to women. But first of all, I think you need to, in addition to the constantly learning and evolving and reinventing, you do need to establish the resiliency to be able to roll with the punches, so to speak, embrace change, even though it may not make sense to you, uh, you know, at the start, or you may not like it at the start, because let's face it, change is hard on all of us. And then you need to give it a fair shake, hang in there, at least for a certain period of time and do it with positivity. Don't be a Debbie Downer. I learned that long ago. Nobody likes a Debbie Downer. So you've got to embrace things, give it your best and do it from a position of positivity. And then again, I say the mentorship is important, particularly in these turbulent environments. Having that purpose remains very important because if you can see through the fog, through the turbulence, to what the ultimate mission or goal is, and if you feel purpose in that, if it makes you feel good about getting up in the morning, I think that's crucial as well. And then finally, I'm back to build that body of accomplishment and get things done. So that requires, as I said, a five-part process, in my opinion. First is investigate, get, get your data, get your facts, talk to your stakeholders. Secondly is to communicate, okay, what's the case for change? What's the case for action? And you've got to build that within your team. And perhaps if you're Secretary of the Air Force, you might need to build that with 660,000 people who are looking yeah. to you. Yeah. After you've communicated, then you need to activate, meaning what are we going to do differently to attack the problem. And the fourth step is what I call iterate, because whatever you start out to do probably won't be 100% right. Some things won't work. Some elements of the plan will need to be thrown out and other ideas may present. So you need to iterate and be willing to negotiate and change things up. And then finally is the importance of follow-up. That's the fifth step, because at least in my experience, nothing happens once and done. You, you have to keep communicating throughout. You have to keep following up to make sure that real change is real and that it sticks for the long term. Yeah, definitely agree with that. My previous role was corporate communications, and I, I was definitely the follow-up queen because you can talk all day long, but if it's not actively getting done and there's not, well, what, what gets measured gets done. We've said that a million times in corporate America and even in small business, and that's just is the God honest truth. You mentioned the word risk when you were talking about charting and navigating your path. And, and you mentioned it again when it came to getting things done, when, when talking about navigating change and, and being adapting to that change. That seems to be men and women equally, I would think. What I see a lot in the businesses that I serve is a lot of fear and people are afraid to take risk because they're afraid of failing and then letting down their leader or their senior leader or that being a mar on their record. You talk about building that body of work and, and success and they're afraid that's going to do the opposite. So when do you take a calculated risk and when do you 
maybe hold your cards a little bit. Well, my advice on that would be take your cue from the senior leadership that you're serving. And for senior leader listeners out there, I would say it is incumbent upon you. It's on your shoulders to set the tone in, within your organization that taking reasonable risk is what you want because reasonable, prudent risk is what will lead you to the next level, what will lead you to innovation. If you take no risk, if you're so terribly risk averse, you're probably not going to advance any farther. And if you are going to set the tone of prudent risk, then you need to walk the talk. So you need to communicate that to the employee base. But you also need to celebrate, not chop off the head of someone who takes a prudent risk, but it doesn't work out because that's the way life is. Sometimes these things work out and sometimes they don't. We're struggling with that now in the Defense Department because, of course, our regulations and the laws that govern the way we acquire things are so enormous that they have created a very risk-averse acquisition workforce. And what that means is we take forever to purchase new weapon systems and to develop new weapon systems, and yet we can't keep that up because Russia, China, some of the other countries that could be our potential adversaries, they are able to move much more quickly. And so DOD, the Department of Defense, is trying to do exactly what I just said. We're now trying to, at the senior leadership level, they're trying to set the tone that we want you to take reasonable risks. We expect some failures. A failure and a reasonable risk is okay. You're not going to get fired. You're not going to get your head chopped off. So it's very important to set that tone at the senior leadership level. And then if you've got that tone, if you're the employee, you need, to, you need to test it out. You need to try. If you're in a very risk-averse organization, since we all need a paycheck, most of us do, I don't think I would recommend sticking my neck out. I would take my cue, in summary, from the senior leadership tone of are they willing to accept that level of risk or not. Yeah, great advice. Now, <laughs> you you just alluded to a little bit of this too about being able to move quickly and and to be able to innovate as you're moving quickly and I have to say one of my very best friends is a retired lieutenant colonel army ranger and I feel like as his friend I have learned a lot of military speak but reading your book I picked up a new term can we talk about queep because I think queep <laughs> And if I'm even pronouncing that correctly, you are, you are, that, that is a drag too. And so what is that? What does that word mean? And how do we get that out of our organizations? Queep is a term that I too had never heard of. I learned it in the Air Force. I learned it specifically when I was conducting a town hall meeting with hundreds of airmen. And I was submitting myself to questions from the audience. And one airman stood up and said, Madam Secretary, what are you going to do about queep? And I said, queep, I'm afraid I'm not familiar with that term. And the airman said, well, that's all the computer-based training and additional duties and all the other crap that we go through in the Air Force. <laughs> and everybody laughed in the audience, including me, mostly because it was very unusual to say the word crap in front of the Secretary of the Air Force. Yes. So, the truth is, I said, I'll look into it because I'm just not sufficiently familiar with this. 
I did look into it. And indeed, I learned that there is a ton of additional responsibilities. They call them additional duties. There's computer-based training that's required. Some of it's once a year, some of it's once a quarter on a variety of topics. And of course, the Air Force, like every other corporation in America, is much more self-service than it used to be. So whereas we used to have administrative people, many more administrative people in the Air Force, helping Air Force personnel with everything from travel expenses to you name it, now it's much more computer-based and people are expected to do a lot of it themselves. Now, everything I just said, once I looked into this and realized that's what they were talking about when they said queep, that all rang true to me because in my, when I was a business executive at SEIC, we had our own version of this. So I instituted what I call the Stop Doing Stuff campaign. I love it. We literally, as best as we could, we went through and we tried to catalog what are all of these additional duties? What are all of these computer-based training? And who directed that we do them? Sometimes we found that these things were directed by law, in which case we continued to do them because that's the law. In other cases, our higher level DOD bosses said that we had to do them. Once again, we continued doing them, but I became an advocate up the chain of command to try to get some of them amended. The third category turned out to have the the most promise of all. And of course, that's the category where we had done it to ourselves. Over the years, we had placed additional requirements and regulations and so on. This is the category that we really attacked as the first order of business to strip as much of that away as possible. And we knew we weren't going to get it all done in the first pass. So we informed through a series of communications that these particular items that we were stripping away was just the first round, that we were going to continue to look for more opportunities and that we would be following up. And so through the effort that I launched, but even past my time, my successor continued this effort and continued to find additional queep items that could be stripped away. I think we were able to successfully give airmen back more of their precious time because there's never enough time. And our people, I think this is true in corporate America too, people want to do what they're trained to do. They want to do their primary job. They don't want to be bogged down with lots of additional paperwork and extra things. So we, it's on incumbent upon us as leaders to really take a close look at that and strip away as much as possible. Every now and then we have to ask ourselves, are these items still value add? And if not, let's do away with them or reduce them. And again, that's that's the story of Queep and the stop doing stuff. <laughs> I love it. That that's so I'm I'm Gen X. I'm super efficient. I hate what I'm now going to refer to as Queep. You know, looking at it from even the military perspective, it's is non-mission critical. Why are we doing this? And I love that. So for those of you who are listening that are business owners or if you're in a place of influence, that is something that can dramatically increase your engagement and discretionary effort from your team members is to get the crap as somebody so boldly told Debbie to get that off their plates. And then if, if you're not in a position and that's something that you need to bubble up, be as bold as that airman who was able to say, you know what, this is taking me away from mission critical activities. So I, I just really loved that and wanted to, to squeeze that in. 
Now your entire career has essentially been in the male dominated industry. So how has that affected your career now as an advisor? Well, I think it's a great time for women. And I say this because when I started out in my career, again, going back some 37 years, the whole idea of diversity and inclusion and so on, we didn't even use those terms. They simply, they weren't talked about. But nowadays, every company, every government organization is very focused on this. They're aware that for the sake of the customers who are a cross-section of America and for the sake of innovation and for the sake of getting the best talent into your organization, you have to open up the aperture. You need to increasingly focus on diversity and inclusion. So not just women, but women certainly are a key part, but we need more people of color. We need people of different backgrounds. This is all part of diversity and inclusion. Because there's a focus on this nowadays, and because many organizations are measuring or they have goals and aspirations, it's a great time for women to be able to progress up through the ranks. I come back to, you've got to want it, you've got to aspire, and you've got to hang in there with positivity, seek out those mentors, make sure you don't ever rest on your laurels, but that you're living a life of continual learning that you brush up on your people skills, communication is so important, that you work always as an ethical individual, and that you get things done. Do the very best you can in your current job, get things done, and the next job is more likely to follow. So I think it's a great time for women precisely because of the time that we're living in. And I want to, I just want to throw in there for those of you, and I know you're going to rush out and buy this book because I'm telling you, this is going to be a manual and I wish I would have had it 20 years ago because I I think I'm on the same train as you as learn the hard way (laughs) version of stepping into leadership as, as a woman. But you've done this as a single mom to two children. And that was not something that held you back from your greatness professionally. And I also love that you're like, yeah, I basically outsourced home (laughs) and, and that's fine. And I didn't have to have a perfectly appointed house and everything didn't have to be done exactly a certain way. And I'm the only human on the planet that possibly do that right. And so I think that, yes, it is a great time for women to, to really step into who they're capable of being because the the invitation is there. And I also think that we have to let go ourselves of some of the lies that we don't have to even let other people tell us. We're telling them to ourselves. Right. Do you want to add any commentary to that? Yes. Well, first of all, I also want to say, lead a full life beyond work. That is a whole chapter in my book. And it's I have it under the chart and navigate. And I say it because you will not be as productive a, as a, of a professional if you don't have the fullness of a life outside of your work. So for me... That fullness, you know, was my children. And in in the early days, it was my marriage. But back to plan A and plan B and zigzagging, you know, I thought I would be married to the same man forever. But zigzags happen on the personal side as well. And I was divorced. And then I was remarried. So there was a period that I was a single parent. There was a period where I was a married parent. But I had to do the juggling that so many women do because most of childcare, most of housework, statistically still falls more to the women than to the men, even men who are in very equal types of household arrangements. But leading that full life is just so much a part of who I am. So I wouldn't have traded it 
for anything. And the way I got through it, like you said, was, I, well, first of all, I prioritized. Yes. So for me, the children were a priority. Housework was not. Cooking was not. And so I tried to outsource as much as possible of the chores, basically, that I didn't want to do. And that way, when I came home, I was really focused on the children. And I, we spent our money prioritize against the child care. And maybe we didn't go out to dinner as much as other people did, or maybe we didn't have as up-to-date a car. So in other words, anybody, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, if you're going to work, you really need to focus on that child care as number one. And I think most people would agree with that. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to pay for it? You, you, you can't maybe do as much of all the other things you're used to, but maybe that's a sacrifice worth making if it means your children will be well taken care of and, and you can continue to have your career. So it's a question of priorities and don't do the things that aren't very important because good enough is good enough frequently. When it comes to housework, I always felt that way. And meals, I mean, I didn't really cook and I've never learned to cook well, but I certainly can put a meal on the table. Good enough is good enough. There are many options nowadays where people can eat healthily without, you know, you becoming the gourmet cook yourself. So these are just some of the techniques. Again, I have, I have a, a chapter on this in the book because it really has been important. I've raised two beautiful children who are now in their uh, mid-30s. And I'm very proud to tell you, I have a six-month-old granddaughter. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. And And I love that you pointed out having an abundant life isn't having an abundant career. Having abundant life is all encompassing and you can't, you can't segment your life. Your life is your life. And part of it is work and part of it is personal. And no matter what, it's always one whole pie that you're enjoying every day. Before we say goodbye, I usually ask what's a final piece of advice that you would give to our listeners, but I would love to hear from someone who's had such a career, tell us the best piece of advice that's ever been given to you. I mentioned this briefly, but I want to maybe foot stomp it as my final piece of advice that I offer. And again, this was offered to me years ago, and it relates to the importance of people and putting people first in your strategy, in your thinking as a leader. Once again, we focus an awful lot on how are we going to disrupt a competitor technologically these days? And what about the business model? And what about our approach in different areas? I think the most important thing is the people because the people are the engine that make all of those other things operate and people can make it or break it. And the culture of an organization can make or break your success. And when I say put people first, there's many components to that. For example, having fair pay and compensation competitive in your sector, that's table stakes. If you don't have that these days, you're going to go nowhere, but that's important. Making sure that there's enough flexibility in the workforce, depending on what your business is. People expect that nowadays. People want it. Women especially, I think, want that flexibility. So lean forward if you're a leader and look for ways to provide more flexibility in the, in the workforce. I think another thing is people nowadays, they don't want to simply be told what to do. They want to understand the context. They want to understand why we're doing things a certain way. People question now much more nowadays. And those are reasonable questions. So once again, this is the importance of communicating as a leader, not just the what, 
but the why and the ultimate where is the destination. So coming back to the importance of communication to people. And then finally, I will say people want to feel appreciated. They want to know that their work is important to the efforts of the whole. They want to hear the words thank you. So I'm always appalled at leaders who are stingy with their thank yous and with their commendations. It's so easy to do. And most people really, really appreciate it. So taking an interest in people, their individual activities, I think it's very, very important from a leadership perspective. And so what I would recommend to their, to your listeners is amidst all of the hubbub about technology and business models and organizational constructs, remember it's the people issues that count the most. Yeah, because it's the people who get things done. And that's right. that's part of your secret to success. So I love it. Debbie, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and and putting yourself out there and sharing your wealth of experience and your your wins and your failures for us all to learn from. Well, thank you, Amber. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. And for everyone out there, I, I, whether you are male or female, I want you to go out and purchase Aim High, chart your course and find success. It's available everywhere. Of course, you can go to Amazon and wherever your favorite book outlet is and give it a good read. It's very conversational. It does not feel like a stiff leadership book. You, you really get to be a part of her experience. If they want to learn more about you, is there a specific place they can go on the interwebs to discover more? Yes, I have a website, which is www.debralejames.com which describes the different things that I do, the organizations that I'm affiliated with. um, And there's also uh, more information about aim high, chart your course and find success. Fantastic. Well, you heard it here. That will all be in the show notes. If you go to amberhurdle.com forward slash podcast with an S and click on the bombshell business podcast. Of course, we're about to launch Velvet Machete branding podcast, where we're going to talk exclusively about personal brands, also known as leadership, employer brands, also known as culture and business brands, which of course we learned from the secretary today that it takes people to create those strong business brands. And you'll be able to find all the links to access this book and her website there. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit AmberHurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the BombshellBusinessWoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.